Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Jason A. Meiske, and yeah, I'm having a good summer. How about you? Is it going well? Are you getting lots of good things done? Are you going on any trips or anything? How's your uh, how's your reading? Your summer reading? Do you have any plans? Or did you have plans for lots of uh, stories? Hopefully, you found something to read uh, from one of the stories that you know one of our future authors. Uh, we're up to twenty six authors now that we have had on this show, and countless fantastic stories from each and every one of them. So hopefully, you found one that you've enjoyed. Uh, you know, if you have, make sure you leave a review. Go on to uh, Goodreads or Amazon or both. See, and that's something that I like to do. I, I think I've talked about it before, but that's one of the things I like to do is, especially if I'm reading something on on e-reader, it's already plugged into Goodreads, and that's part of Amazon. Once you're done, it's right there, simple. It comes up for you already, saying, "Hey, rate this, give a, a little rating, give a little uh, you know comment, uh, what you thought of the book." And it's just that easy. And if you're if you, that doesn't pop up, if it's not tied in together, you know, it's really easy to go into one of them. Uh, you know, go to Amazon or Goodreads or wherever. You write your review, and then you just copy and you paste it into the other. You know, because it's it's great. Some people really like Goodreads. Some people really like Amazon. Some people like both, like me. You know, and then there's other methods out there. So yeah, I I, I highly recommend anytime you read a book, make sure you leave a review. It says something about you. It says something for the author and for other people to to look at and see, oh, well, this person thought this book was fantastic. This person thought it was okay. You know, and, and I think it just, uh, it adds that much more credence to what an author, the, all the work that the author has put into it. So don't forget to leave a review, people. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a good, guaranteed way to make an author's day when they open up Amazon or whatever and see that uh, oh I got another reading another rating on there so uh, hey uh, I had a good time over the weekend because I got to I forgot that I was going to get away for a while uh, but while I was gone I did a little bit of antiquing and you know seeing some of these antiques and how fragile they are it got me thinking about our sponsor <laughs> how do you like that segue you <laughs> store all of Warrensburg Missouri they have they are the best place you can find for self storage. Now, the reason the antiques got me thinking about them is because of their delicate nature of some of the antiques that I found, you know, whether it was old cloth or wood or whatever. And U-Storall has climate control. Now, not just not just climate control in that, you know, okay, there's an air conditioner over the corner. No, 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 no. They have premier climate control. It's air conditioned, it is heated, and it has dehumidification. So it's removing that moisture from the air so it's not getting into your antique wood, making it swell, making it shrink, you know, as the temperatures outside go back and forth. You know, and I, I don't know about where you live, but here in Missouri, we've got a lot of humidity lately. And here before long, that humidity is going to go away and it's going to start getting really dry again for a while uh, here as we, uh, as we approach August. And, oh man, if you're going to store some antiques, you know, you got some, clo- some clothes or furniture or uh even some photographs some photo albums you know if you got some photo albums from family members that are old and they got old you know old pictures of family in there 
man, you got to take care of those things. You got to make sure they're going to be kept somewhere safe and away from all the humidity so that they don't stick. So check out Ustorall online at ustorall.net. There's the letter U S T O R A L L dot net. I also want to thank our host site, Podcast Garden, for helping me put this show on. They do have all of our episodes online. They put it out to iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, you know, wherever it is that you're listening to this show. So they are a fantastic service. Uh, they have a ton of other shows on there. If you're interested in finding other shows, be sure to go to podcastgarden.com and you can find just any number of different kinds of shows on there. If you're interested in starting your own show, Make sure to, uh, once again, you know, go to podcastgarden.com and you can start up your first month for free. Check it out, podcastgarden.com. Our author today is Leslie Petrick. She is a multiple award-winning writer, uh, including winner of the Drew Hines Literature Award. Uh, she is a writing teacher coming out of North Carolina. I had a blast talking to her, and we had a lot of fun because... Some of her work that she, uh, one of her books, and in fact, the book that she's going to read today, revolves around stories from the early 80s that I remember uh, growing up, things that happened. So this was, uh, you know, this was a real treat. Uh, but we got to talk about all of her, uh, all of her other books, and then uh, her new one to, uh, that just came out, Silver Girl. You want to make sure you check out Leslie at her, uh, her website is absolutely the best place you can find her. Uh, so I'm gonna and I'm gonna go over. She's got a last name like mine. It's it's really wild and out there. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna spell it out for you. Here. So her website is her name. It's Leslie L E S L I E, and her last name is Petrick. It's P I E T R Z Y K dot com. So if you didn't catch that, hit that little 15 second back button on your player. And you can hear that again. Or you can go online and check it out. I'm going to have links to all of this on there. Now, her website is the best place to find everything that you want to know about her because it's got links to her. Amazon's got links to her Facebook, her Twitter, her blog, which is Work in Progress in Progress. Very cool name. Uh, but she's also got on there, though, you definitely want to check out the website because she's also got recipes on there. And, oh, man, the latest one, she's got a chicken recipe that, mwah, Oh, I can't wait to try this out. This is a, this looks really good. But uh, anyway, so I'm I'm not going to talk too much about it. You know, I, I want to get us on over to the show with Leslie, and uh, you can hear all about all of her wonderful books and uh, her new, including her newest one, Silver Girl. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to get you on over to Leslie Peter. Welcome back, friends. It's another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. My guest today is Leslie Patrick. Is it, did I say that right? You did, yes. Oh, fantastic. Thanks. All right. You have a last name like mine, except mine looks nothing like how it's pronounced. <laughs> so so I, I understand your grief, but welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. My name is Polish, so even though it's pronounced Patrick, there's a Z in it. That's why Jason is confused. Oh, okay. Yep. See, and mine's German, and it used to have a few <laughs> extra letters in there that, um, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, my ancestors took that out. So, <laughs> uh, well, uh, so I'm so happy that you came on. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. 
Well, I am one of those uh, kids who grew up loving to read, always wanting to be a writer. So, yay, that's what I am. I'm the author of three novels and a collection of short stories. My most recent book is called Silver Girl, and it came out in February 2018, and it is set in Chicago in the 1980s during the time of the Tylenol murders, and it's about a really complicated, um, insular, uh, kind of challenging friendship between two, um, two best friends, two college girls. I'm showing my age a little bit because I, I remember that. Oh, the Tylenol yeah, murders? The Tylenol, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, yes. <clears throat> so. It was a scary, scary time. And um, what I like to tell people about it now is that, um, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not everybody is as old as we are. So I could, do you want me to give a quick little description of what happened during oh, the Tylenol sure. murders? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that would be great. Yeah, so um, this was in, uh, in 1982. And in the city of Chicago, all of a sudden, these people sort of started um, dropping dead mysteriously. And what it turned out was happening is that somebody had taken bottles of Tylenol capsules, because that's when you could buy pills off uh, on, the, on the counter, off, what was it, over the counter, in capsule form, and there was no protective packaging. So the uh, murderer was taking these capsules, dumping out the Tylenol, putting cyanide in them and then returning them to the shelves and people would take them. And then cyanide's a really strong poison and they literally would just kind of fall down dead and um, seven people died. And the thing that's really amazing is to this day, no one has been convicted of that crime. That's what people are really surprised about. And now of course there's all this protective packaging around um, bottles and, and so on. And this is why that um, packaging exists. You know, I I think I completely forgot that that's where the packaging came from. And yeah. I, I did not know that uh, they have not found that that person yet. So. Yeah, there there was a person of interest um, uh, who was convicted of sort of a blackmail. He was trying to blackmail Johnson and Johnson, the people who make Tylenol, but he was never actually convicted of the crime. And one of the reasons maybe they were unable to catch someone is that once the authorities connected that it was the bottles of Tylenol, they told everyone, including drugstores, you know, to throw all, throw away all the Tylenol, which saved people's lives, but of course compromised the crime scene. So there was no evidence. And of course, this was also before there were, you know, nine million surveillance cameras in stores and on streets. So, right. yeah, that's the, the 80s. Um, and I, I kind of view that as a um, maybe an early case of domestic terrorism. So so anyway, so in my book, Silver Girl, uh, that's kind of the backdrop to what's going on with the um, college girls that they're um, it's right during the height of the Tylenol murders. That's before awesome. they figured that, it out. Yeah. That, yeah, that's fascinating. Wow. And, and that's quite the. So now did you, I guess we can get into, like, do you plan your books or do you just kind of uh, wing it and pantsing or, or was that uh, yeah. was that kind of the inspiration behind this? Yeah, so I, I would I would write like 15 pages winging it to see what happened. But I do think a little, when it's like 300 pages and you know it's going to take like four years, 
I do a little bit of planning. So you're right. So early on, I knew I wanted to write about the Tylenol murders because it was sort of a forgotten, horrific crime that really was so frightening because it was so random, cut across class lines. Like if you lived in a nice neighborhood, you know, doesn't matter. So I wanted to write about the Tylenol murders, but I didn't want to write like a traditional murder mystery. And I didn't want to write about the um, like the families of the victims, people left behind, because my my previous book, This Angel on My Chest, was a collection of stories about the death of my first husband. So writing about somebody left behind. So I wanted to do something new. So I had the Tylenol murders on one hand. On the other hand, I wanted to write about these two college girls and this really complicated friendship because I had had a complicated friendship with somebody once and I'm in a prompt writing group and I've been writing sort of sketches with the two college girl characters and then the the, the challenge was how can I put these two storylines together so college girls in Chicago Tylenol murderer in Chicago but how do they fit and it was um it was so funny that it was I reminded myself I'm a fiction writer, so I was able to invent um, invent a victim in the Tylenol murder case that sort of uh, ties the two stories together. Oh, okay. All right. Yes, it's amazing when you can make up whatever you need. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, and I I think I agree with George Carlin when he said, you know, I'd rather have the headache. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So, uh, and you've got uh, uh, a bunch of your short stories uh, in a collection of that. Tell us a little bit about where these where these stories came from. The This Angel on My Chest is uh, the book that I published just before Silver Girl. And it is a collection of linked short stories about the death of my first husband, who died when he was 37 of a heart attack. And when I say linked... Normally, people might think, oh, it's the same character or, you know, the same house. But in these stories, it's sort of unconventional because each story is about a young widow, a woman whose husband dies. And that also was a big challenge because how do you make the same story interesting over and over again? And why do you tell the same story over and over again? So the challenge of that book was finding interesting forms for the story. So there's a list, there's an index, there's a YouTube video, there's a 40-page story told in the form of a craft lecture at a writing conference. So there's all kinds of different ways of viewing, I guess it's kind of viewing loss and grieving and how people grieve and how we remember people who are who have passed away so that's kind of what that book is about okay so now how about uh, you got some of your other novels uh, pears on a willow tree and a year in a day yes yeah, so pears on a willow tree that was my first book that was published and it is about four generations of polish american women remember i said my last name is polish so um, my great-grandmother is the one who um, came over from Poland at the, you know, in the early 1900s, and they, the family ended up settling in the Detroit area. And it's my father's 
side of the family who's Polish, not my mother's. But this is sort of thinking about um, the, the four generations of women, the mother-daughter bond, sort of what it means to leave home, what keeps us in a family, what tears apart families. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't want to say that's, you would never say this one is my favorite book, but, you know, that was the first book to get published. So that has a sort of a special place in my, in my heart. Absolutely. And then a year and a day is set in 1975 in a small town in Iowa. And it is about a girl, a 15 year old girl whose mother has committed suicide. So it's a little dark and it's about the year after that, um, sort of what happens after that catastrophic event, how she gets through it. And the title is taken from the, if, if you've ever lost somebody, there's that kind of pop culture phrase. Everyone says, oh, the first year is the hardest, you know, get through the year. And then this girl, 15 year old girl sort of takes that to heart and thinks, okay, after this year and a day, I'll be fine. And of course, you know, she learns that doesn't work quite that neatly, but the book follows sort of month by month the things that go on in, in her life. Okay. And then and then you have a historical novel as well, um, Reversing the River. What, I do. Yeah, that. that's well that is it it uh, well it used to be on this very cool literary app that then went out of business. So I think now I think it's still on medium, but um that is set on this it's set in Chicago on the first day of the year 1900, which is when if you've been to Chicago, you know that the Chicago River flows backwards, that really it should flow from um and, and the reason it does that is this massive engineering project that reversed the flow of the river because what was happening is all the factories would dump all their crap. And we're talking about like, you know, in the eight, late 1800s, so it's a lot of bad crap. They dump it in the river, it would flow into the lake, people would drink the lake water, and then, of course, get sick, you know, direly sick. So there was this huge um, engineering project reverse the flow of the Chicago River, send all that crap, well, down to St. Louis. <laughs> it was supposed to be, like, cleaned up by then, but St. Louis wasn't very happy. And so um, that's kind of the backdrop for that book. And there's um, two characters, a Polish immigrant and a young affluent woman who go through the course of this day and then sort of end up meeting, meeting at the end. And they, too, are changing the course they're changing the courses of their lives as well. Okay. And so now are you, and you're not writing full time right now. You're also working as a, as a teacher, uh, teaching writing. Yes. I teach at a low residency MFA program in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina at Converse college, which um, I love teaching in the low res um, model. I got, I have an MFA from a traditional program where, you know, you, you move somewhere, you go to school, you have class, you know, through the semester. But um, as you probably know, but the low res model, everybody meets twice a year for about 10 really intense days. And then you go back to your home, back to your life, um, except that you work with with me 
for the rest of the semester, submit your work, and I um, respond, focus all my smart, laser-like attention on you and your writing and help you improve. Then we all meet up again, and then um, I get a new batch of students, and you get a new mentor to uh, assist you. I just think it's a way that helps writers learn how to write in the world, in their lives. You know, most people don't get to just not have a job and sit around and write at their leisure. Mm -hmm. um, people have jobs and families. You need to balance time, and that's what you do in a low-res MFA. And then I think it's a good way, maybe a better way, to put together a novel manuscript by having sort of uh, focused people reading your work instead of always going to your workshop saying, oh, well, you know, I, I covered that in Chapter 2, if you had read Chapter 2. It's like, hey, I read Chapter 2. I know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so I love teaching. I love teaching there. So, yeah, that's Converse College in uh, South Carolina. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I've got my writing group that uh, we meet uh, twice a month, and you know, mm -hmm. we, we don't we don't all always get to make it. And so you're re hearing a chapter and you're going, you know, I don't understand this part. Why did they do this? And, oh, well, that was mm -hmm. last week's chapter when you weren't here. Like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to write novels in um, in a graduate writing program. Anyway, I think it's much easier to do it in a low res MFA. So, what do you have? What are you working on? Any any new books or uh, another <laughs> short stories? Yeah. Um. Well, I have a short story coming out in Plowshares in a probably couple months, and. I kind of have like half a collection of short stories that I could be working on. And then I have a novel idea that I'm very interested in that I'm in the very beginning stages of. And I feel, feel like one of those projects is going to have to win out and I'm going to fully committed to one or the other. I've just been through a long patch of sort of promoting Silver Girl mm -hmm. and um, doing events and interviews and living my life. So I guess, to be honest, right at this exact moment, I'm not pushing myself as hard as I usually would, sort of. But I hate I hate not working on a big project. So I know I got to, by the end of the summer, I got to be doing something big. I love, don't you love when you're like in the middle of something and everything you read or think about just sort of flows into that novel and oh, yeah. just love living with it. So. Yeah. I had done my first draft last fall, got it done in time for NaNoWriMo. So I oh. sent, sent it off to get, uh, to get some beta read and a critique done. And then, mm -hmm. I, so I did NaNoWriMo with, uh, what I'm planning for my next story, but I didn't get very far because I got my critique back right away. And it was like, Oh yeah, forget that. I'm, I'm working <laughs> on this now. Yeah. And, and yeah, but it's it's funny because I had um, NaNoWriMo from the previous year, a story I had been working on. All, all of a sudden, I've got both of those fighting for my attentions now. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm back and forth between I'm trying to decide, OK, can I maybe can I work on both of these stories? Uh, I don't know, because I, I would love to get two more books this year, but I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. Yeah, I find I know that there are people who can work on more than one thing at once. And I can be working on a novel, sort of hate it, write some short stories, go back to the novel. But I don't think 
I can work on two big projects at the same time. I mean, that's me. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm, I might give it a try, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how well it's going to work out. We'll see. I think one of them's going to have to, same thing. One of them's going to have to win out. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course, it's always like when the one that wins out and you're like, okay, I'll work on this, but there's always that little lure of the other one saying, what about me? What about me? <laughs> yes, it, it never fails. You'll find something on TV that'll bring it to mind. You're like, oh, that's how that's going to work. Okay, wait. Yeah. yeah the, um, other one's, the other one's on pause again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, now, what's the what is the best place for people to to follow you? Is it your website, or are you in other places online? Um, well, I'm I'm pretty open with Facebook, so my um, you can look me up on Facebook or on Twitter. I'm at uh, Leslie P. Writer, and um, you can find out more information for sure on my website, which is lesliepetrick.com. And I actually still have a blog that I've had for I think maybe a million years. I write on it maybe every maybe every week or so, um, and that is called. <laughs> this this shows my frustration with trying to find a name that wasn't taken because it's called Work in Progress in Progress. <laughs> because somebody else had taken Work in Progress, so it's like Work in Progress in Progress. Great, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I'll make sure and put some links to all of these in the uh, in the show notes. And li listeners, I got to tell you, you need to go to her website though and check it out. Not only sign up for her for her e list, but uh, yeah, you got to look for the recipes. She's got some <laughs> recipes on there that oh my gosh, you got to try it out. So. <laughs> That's true. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on. I've had a blast having you on here, and uh, hopefully, we can do this again sometime. Well, I've had a wonderful time, too. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to hand the floor over to Leslie Petrick and her novel, Silver Girl. Thank you. Okay, so I am going to read just a little short chapter that takes place um, after people have discovered that the Tylenol murders are um, taking place. So this will be during the time of the Tylenol murders. And this, even in just this short little section, I think everyone will get to see how incredibly complicated the uh, friendship is between Jess and the narrator. And I should explain, the narrator actually doesn't have a name that, that she gives in the book. So for the whole time, you don't know her name. And the other thing you need to know is that Jess is from a really affluent family. Um, in Chicago, and that the narrator is from a working class family in Iowa, and that it's a really big deal that she has made it to this, um, well, we'll just call it the fancy school by the lake, which may or may not be Northwestern University, and that she has, um, she's been out of her element. She's, she can't believe sort of all these rich kids and this, this totally different world than the world that she knows. And so she kind of is hopeful that she's been hopeful that Jess is um, will be sort of a sort of a guide to how to fit in. Okay, so this chapter is called Jinx, and it takes place in the fall of their junior year, and they are now off-campus roommates together. Jess and I lingered at the water fountain in the library, across from the room with the best vending machines. 
It was her idea to hover, seemingly absorbed in conversation, rating the butts of guys bending over to drink. We flashed quick and, we thought, subtle signals with our eyebrows. We thought we were sly and hilarious, or Jess did. I thought we were embarrassing. But this was what Jess wanted for a study break, and I agreed, since it was a step closer to forgetting her fiancé. Truth be told, none of the butts we saw was better than his, and Jess had to know it. Tommy. Not wrong to think his name. Jess has uh, just broken up with her fiancé. An older guy, maybe a grad student, sidled around the corner and said, you two are laughing a lot. Long blonde hair hung straight down his back. His teeth held a pair of pl black plastic eyeglasses by the stem, so his words sounded tight and clenched. Instead of the preppy look everyone aspired to, he wore black jeans and a too small black t-shirt printed in all lower case with Anarchists Unite or Not. I looked into his eyes, trying to determine if he was talking to me or to Jess, and I felt Jess next to me, trying to determine the same thing. Jinx, I thought, the way kids did when they said the same word at the same time. We were sideways from a floor-to-ceiling window, and when I checked my reflection, I stood straighter. Jess flicked her hair. I guessed she was thinking about the lipstick in her purse. Me too. So I flicked my hair because she had, and she promptly straightened up. He folded the glasses and hooked one stem into a jeans pocket. What's so funny, he asked, saying it like he knew already. His back was to the wall, so I couldn't see his butt, but it had to be good. He wouldn't wear those jeans if it wasn't. Jess said, just girl talk. Her voice overflowed with implication that there was more, that maybe she'd tell him, but maybe not, that time was endless and her flirty games could last into infinity, that a laugh now was as good as easing a tennis ball back at her with a single graceful stroke. Three words equaled all that. But he didn't laugh. That meant something. The silence grew awkward as he glanced my way, his unwavering gaze turning my face hot, though I tried not to show it. There were things I could have said, but I outweighed him. Maybe you'll tell me, he said. What's so funny? I said, we're ranking guys' asses, and they don't even know. Jess shrieked, ah, delicately, and clutched at her chest with both hands, practically sealing herself up. No, we're not, she said. The guy locked onto my eyes. His were pale hazel. He didn't blink, and neither did I. And he said, what about mine? And he stepped to the water fountain and pushed the button letting a stream of water arc as he twisted his head to watch us watching him, scooping back his blonde hair with his free hand. Jess tugged my sleeve like a child. Let's go, she said, puffing out an impatient sigh. I said, A minus. It was an A butt, which I'm sure he knew, but why give him the pleasure? He twitched his butt in a goofy little wiggle. Any extra credit, he asked. Gross, Jess pronounced. Someone else would walk away, not her. No way would she leave me alone with him now, convinced she was protecting me. Tough crowd, he said, twisting his head to drink from the fountain. Behind his back, Jess's raised eyebrows asked me, are you serious? But he straightened and faced us before I could answer. Anyway, I didn't know the answer. 
What I liked about him was that he didn't like Jess best, or maybe at all. I think I thought that was enough. I think I thought that was the point. He slipped on his glasses, then pushed them way down to the tip of his nose and peered over the black rims. This is a mother of a headache, he said. Either of you got any drugs? No, Jess said, her mother's straight-laced voice. He stretched wide both arms, hands posed like a Jesus statue, like we should place something precious into them. One palm had numbers written on it in red ink. It's a headache, he said. I meant aspirin or Tylenol. I gasped. You can't take Tylenol, I said. It's been poisoned, didn't you hear? It's on all the news. TV's for suckers, he said, with a crushing but ridiculous sneer. Jess unzipped her purse, which hung at her hip, and pulled out a white plastic bottle. Here, she said, tossing it to him. The pills clattered lightly as he caught it. Don't take that if it's Tylenol, I said. Really? He examined the bottle through the lenses of his glasses. It is, he said. Extra strength. He knew, tacking that on on purpose. Jess said, it's been in my purse forever. It's fine. He unscrewed the top and spilled two capsules into his palm on top of the inky red numbers. Someone's phone number, a locker combination. What? Why did I care? Trying to save the world, take the pills, I thought, you idiot. Afraid? Jess asked. I shook my head before realizing the question wasn't for me. You only live once, he said, and he cupped his hand to his mouth, then turned back to the fountain. Water art. I wasn't looking at his ass. I was looking at Jess, but now she was looking at his ass. He could fall down dead in five minutes. It happened that fast. Why did no one else care? I almost hoped he would die to prove I was right. What show-offs. I remembered how Jess liked to say, half of being brave is being stupid. What's the other half, I'd asked once. Believing in luck, she'd said, smirking, so I'd understand she thought of herself as lucky. I unclenched my fist. I closed my eyes and quickly said, I gotta get back to my chapter. I walked fast, opening my eyes to watch my feet thud the floor one after the other. Behind me, Jess laughed and said to him, you know what they say, once is enough if you do it right. Her voice sounded like a pretty shower of confetti. He must have thought so too, because he laughed right along with her. In the end, it was always Jess. I knew that. Leslie Petrie reading from her latest book Silver Girl that was really really interesting Al and like like we talked about I remember the the Tylenol murders of the early 80s and it's just man that's wild to think that uh, that person's still out there so check it out online go to her website lesliepetrick.com and uh, check out this book Silver Girl hey don't forget to follow us on Facebook on Twitter uh, we're on all these places. Don't forget to leave us a review on wherever it is that you're listening to us. And we will see you again next week with another author, another story, and another sample chapter. Bye. <laughs>